Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. My name is Jimmy Zabo and I'm here thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA and the Footy Live app. Download the Footy Live app today for your stats, scores, highlights, opinions and your podcasts. And hey, what a show we have for you today. We're, we're here in Melbourne. We're in lockdown again, which is, which is fantastic. But it means that we've got the Monday review panel on a Tuesday straight up again. But before I introduce them, uh, let me tell you what's coming up in the show because it's a very good one. We're going to wrap up the round that was round 18, all the talking points and all the fallout with Nick and Gordo. Then we will chat to a very special guest and his name is Mitch Morton. And he was a premiership hero for the Sydney Swans. And he played nine years in the AFL across three clubs, won a Michael Roach medal and uh, for Richmond as the leading goal kicker and a flag with Sydney. Um, But all through his career, he suffered severe anxiety and he's now started a new business to help people who are going through similar situations. And it's a perfect time now that we're in lockdown to talk to him about that i will chat to him about that very thing and also the highs and lows of his career I'll then run him through the 10 quick questions gauntlet uh boys i've got more than 10 questions for you today but i will start with this one how are you both very good considering we're in lockdown and we can't go to footy games and i can't be with you boys in person unfortunately correct but you know considering the circumstances it's good to be Doing this regardless, mm-hmm. especially after we missed last week. Yeah, especially Mikeless as well. When we did, uh, we did say run by Mike and your time off, and and Nico didn't. But Gordo, he's got his mic and he sounds brilliant. Show me your voice, Gordo. How you doing, mate? And how was your week off, Jimmy? More importantly, you had to rest and recuperate. We we worked <laughs> you too hard, apparently, making you do two sports instead of one, yep. and you uh, decided to take a little cheeky cheeky bye week. I did, and uh, let Nico take the uh, pod cave. So yeah, how he did feeling? well. He did well. No, I'm good. I'm refreshed now. Took a week off. It was good. The Euros really, you know, the lack of sleep killed me. Um, but I didn't have a, a week off all year, so I thought the perfect time would be last week. And look what happened. Took one week off and you boys put us in lockdown. And uh, it's all your fault, Gordo. Hey, on the weekend, there was a few heroes. And, you know, obviously Richmond won, so I'm very chirpy and happy again today. Um, but Nico, you had a very special hero that was odd for you because you normally hate the blues. Was your hero Sam Walsh? I've got yes, it was, but I've got nothing against the blues and certainly nothing against That's Sam Walsh, mate. He's a, <laughs> he's a genuine star yeah. at the age of 21. He's already one of the prime midfielders in the competition, uh, both inside and out. He's and he proved it again on the weekends 39 disposals and a goal against. The arch rival Collingwood. So to do it on that stage, I think, um, I mean, he's already won games off his own boot this year for the Blues, but he did it again on the weekend. And all of a sudden, like, he's a Brownlow fancy. I mean, mean, his form over the last few weeks suggests that he already was, but he's a genuine contender and he could honestly take it home with the the last five weeks coming up. Uh, Yeah, don't write him off, that's for sure. But how good was his goal as well? Unbelievable in that last quarter, that snap goal. But I think in the first half, especially because in in the first half, it looked like Collingwood were controlling that game. The only person who was stepping up was Sam Walsh. Obviously, there was no Crips there. So you needed someone to say, hey, jump on my shoulders, which it looked like the old Paddy Crips, didn't it? It Mm. wasn't 
when it wasn't broken. I know it's not broken, but it looks like he's had a rough time, doesn't it, Cripps, after carrying the club for so long. But it looked like a new, fresh version of Cripps when Walsh emerged from packs in the first half and, and really helped them. Sorry for interrupting, Nico. You were going to add. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, he's the Walsh is the face of the Blues now. It's no longer Cripps. Oh, I, I, By their contracts. Four the weeks has been. He's the best player on that list. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. I thought he was brilliant. And it was great to see uh, the Blues come home strong in the second half, Nico. And I know you don't like them, but it was great to see them beat the arch enemy Collingwood. Gordo, who was your hero? My hero was from Richmond, as you said. Big win by the boys on the weekend. I grew up watching Richo Man. Mm -hmm. And it's very nice to see a new Richo Man play his 300th game on the weekend. Okay. That being Jack, Jack Wewald. And he is literally the reincarnation of Matthew Richardson. <laughs> he, he sometimes is a bit of a silly goose on the field, but you never, you never in any doubt that he's playing his guts out for the club. Mm. And it was great to see a great result for him on his 300th game. Great yep. to see him do well because, you know, let's be honest, Jack doesn't mind a little bit of me time. He got a lot of it. On the weekend, six goals, two, seven marks inside 50, <laughs> three contested, lots of big grabs, lots of great celebrations. It was everything about Jack Rewald in a nutshell on the big stage, in a big game, keeping their season alive, albeit very tenuous. Now yeah, Dusty's out. That's right. It was celebrations for less than 24 hours because I think when everyone found out the news that Dustin Martin would not be uh, taking part in any of the rest of the season, um, there was a bit of uh, some upset Richmond fans. But, I mean, Jack did enough to put smiles on the faces for at least a week. Six goals, only the third player to do that. Absolutely tremendous, Jack. And the marks that he took, big crucial times as well, I thought. And, Gordo, you found this interesting as well. Not not the best preparation or not the most traditional preparation. What did he have? Maccas, meatballs, stayed up late watching Tour de France, and he came out and kicked six goals in a home so game. players are just humans. What do you play? I don't know how much Jimmy can talk about the Tigers after a win as well. Why not? Because because uh, you were quiet over the last month or so. I was the last month. The last month, Nico, you've just been giving it to me every day, and I can finally smile after Richmond defeat a genuine premiership contender. Um, so well, that put you back in the race. Is that what you're saying? I never broke them off. <laughs> I yeah. never, I never Even without Dusty, though, can you still do it? Can the Tigers still do it? Of course they can. Because you know what happens, Nick? You, you look at every loss as a gift, as I said. And now this is a gift to someone else, maybe a Shea Bolton, and saying, hey, you know what? Dusty's not there. So it's time for you to step up, my friend. And then Prestia can come back as well. And Graham's playing great. This might be the opportunity for someone. Future, future captain, Jack Graham. Thank you very much. Might be. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of that going around. Hey, Cochin's still st- sticking around for a while, so don't get too excited. Um, Nico, what was your highlight? My highlight was Saturday night's thriller. Because upon, mate, no, I'm not just talking about the Hawks. I'm just, you know, looking at that fixture at the start of the round. That was probably going to be the most boring game. And it was the lone, it had the it had the lone time slot on Saturday night. So everyone was thinking, oh great, you know, another ball fest on Saturday night. So and it lived up to be probably the best game of the weekend because there wasn't much else oh, the weekend. There, there were some great game games. Yeah. There were some great games, but there wasn't as many tight finishes. So well, tight, definitely a tight finish. They couldn't be separated literally. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, it was no, good no. to get a game like that. Um and what, how many draws is that for the season now? Two. So we two. Two. North two. Melbourne North, and North GWS and this that was the second. Yeah. 
two teams from the bottom of the ladder as well, causing upsets. And yeah, it was a great performance from the Hawks as well on that topic. They did very well, came from behind. Uh, Jimmy didn't give us a chance. And Tommy Mitchell as well. I don't think anyone gave his best. Yeah, no, no, he did well, didn't he? Thomas? He did. He, did. he was he yeah, effective, well. effective disposals, Tommy, which I thought was great. And he got he got uh, slammed a bit, didn't he, last week? For I think it was was it Kane Corns who slammed him, which is out of the ordinary for Kane. Yeah. But said that his you know his impact was um, was not great with his disposals. You can wrap it up, wasn't. You're not doing anything. It with wasn't, to be fair. and it was fair criticism, wasn't it? I thought. Um, yeah, he has had a couple of games this year where you know he has racked up the possessions, but has done very little with it. Mm. But uh, this was one of the few games uh, of late, actually, one of the many games of late, actually, because he did it against Sydney as well, where his disposals have been damaging mm. and led to a good result for the Hawks. Yeah, that's right. It, well, well, good result. You didn't win. You drew. I mean, you'd take um, that. Still, yeah, you'd take that. It. And you probably wanted it too because you can't even tank. I mean, you wanted to get a, a nice little draft pick. You didn't want to win. So a draw is fine for the Hawks. Oh, I still wouldn't write that off, to be honest. Yeah, We've no, got a hard run home. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. But they, you know what was impressive, Nick, I thought, was that, you know, Hawthorne were missing probably their their whole back six starting really. Um, and they had to do it without uh, some of their leaders in the lineup. They still got the job done. Now, I thought Melbourne was horrific. They were very, very poor, but I thought the Hawks were good. What I don't like sometimes, though, is that the players don't get enough credit. What happens when Hawthorne win? It's Clark as a genius, mm-hmm. right? which I don't like that, Nick, because I think the players needed credit for this because they put in hard. They, w- they out-muscled uh, Melbourne around the ball who were normally yeah. contested beasts, you know? So I thought it was it was too always much about Clarko. And, it um, always is after a Hawthorne win or a good I performance. Know. It always is. But so. as they say, if he was a genius, they wouldn't be sitting 17th. Uh, Gordo, what was your highlight? <laughs> little drive-by there from Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> He's enjoying having the reins again, isn't he? Jimmy, my <laughs> highlight was a coach that clearly loves the boys. And so John Lomley's tears of joy after yeah, a good. great comeback from the Swannies in the Bloods, old school uniforms. Mm. That's what footy's about. That's what footy's about. Footy's about kicking the goal after wearing the siren. Wearing a heritage jumper. Wearing heritage jumpers, getting yes. around the boys, having a cry. Just <laughs> in these emotional times, it's good to see. It's, yeah. The quote was like, these guys have been on the road for a month now, so they are each other's family. They're, yeah. they're mm. temporary family, and they showed that, and their coach is a... Is a uh, vulnerable enough to show that to the public, to the fans, to the members. So that was just really, really nice to see. And, you know, like it, it's all, it was a very compromised game. There's lots of COVID chaos mm. happening in football at the moment. But at the end of the day, that's, that's a nice little insight to saying that at least they're still that club anyway. It's really enjoying their time together, their, their yep. opportunity together, and the privilege they had to still be playing footy, which it is at the moment, given the uh, world circumstance. So that was my yeah. highlight. Correct. Sometimes it's a blessing in disguise being away with your, your teammates, I guess, and away from family. You get to bond and connect, and that's exactly what they did. But they didn't start too well, the Swannies. They were down by a fair bit, and then they came back. 51-point turnaround, boys. 26-point mm-hmm. win. That second half was incredible. And and Franklin, I think he kicked all four of his goals in that second half, and probably had four as well. I thought that would just... They were outstanding. And like you said, at the end of the game, to see Longmire, the father figure there, hugging the boys, having a cry with them, I thought it was brilliant. And you just, you, it's a new Swans, you know, it's a new Sydney. It's, mm. And it showed that, I mean, we used to, you know, um, associate Sydney with a kind of slow defensive 
kind of style. And now it's it's different. And there's these young players coming out of the woodwork that are really stepping up. So I'm really excited about the Swans and I loved it. Um, and Nelson involves yes. to go as well uh, before Buddy cracks the 1,000, yeah. which yeah. is massive. Is and I hope he it? does it in Melbourne because I'll be the first one on the field. Well, if we're allowed. Running across the MCG. Well, you'll go anyway. Even if there's no crowds, you'll be there. Yes. All right, Nick, uh, that's enough positivity. What was the low light of the weekend? Well, Gordon just touched on it a bit there. It was the COVID chaos that interfered with the final game of the round between the Giants and the Swans. So, as we know, like an hour or so before the game, the Giants and uh, Sydney were forced to make a few changes each. And I think in situations like that, games just have to be called off. Uh, You have to draw the line somewhere and say, this team has been disadvantaged too much compared to the rest of the competition. And that's exactly what happened with GWS. We're quick to judge and criticise the Giants for performances and for fading out late in games, but they've been screwed around more than anyone with the fixturing. They've had to play a home game at the MCG against the Hawks, which they lost. Had to play in Ballarat, Gold Coast on the weekend. Um, and now they've had players stripped for them, from them as well uh, with extremely short notice. So what quality of competition do we have now? Like, it, it's, yeah. only, and it's only because of the Giants we're not hearing, hearing criticism on it. If it was Collingwood, Richmond, Essendon, there would be a massive uproar. So in situations like this, just postpone the game or postpone the round if it's happening in, across more games and keep the integrity of the season intact. Mm, I think- over. Yeah, no, I, I understand your point. I can appreciate it. It was a big talking point, obviously, because of, of the names that were out. So obviously they had the same number of, well, I think Sydney had three all up, but one of them was a sub who were, who were missing. And then you had Matt DeBoer and Toby Green, which is why it was a big talking point. Two of their best players were going to miss. But, you know, the AFL is in the, in the, um, in the mindset of let's just get the games out as quickly as possible, get them played. It's rubbish, though. It's rubbish, rubbish. isn't it? It's, okay. it's unfair for GWS. If it was happening in Richmond, mate, you'd be, you'd be the lead speaker against uh, what is happening. I don't feel that because some things you can't prevent. I mean, yeah, fair, fair point. I, I don't appreciate that. I don't think I would have done that if it was Richmond. But, I mean, the, the fact was it was one hour before the game. So the fans had already rocked up there as well. That, that's another point, you know, then you're going to have to refund, then you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to do that. I, I don't think, I think they could get the game away. They got enough players there and it's Sydney VGWS. doesn't matter who's in that jumper for that time. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm different. I'm a bit different. Nico, uh, good low light. Gordo, what was your low light? Well, on a similar vein, obviously COVID is just taking over our brains. And uh, mine was about people being kind of like revisionist historians when it comes to, the, to this outbreak. So, again, the Sydney game is the obvious one, but I think uh, the Western Bulldogs have had a couple of players and Tier 1 sites. And a lot of the uh, criticism has come out, obviously, because people like us, fans of the game, want sport on. We're in lockdown. And so if this, if this football got cancelled on Sunday, there'd be chaos. It's like, what am I going to do with myself now? I'm stuck in my house. I can't go yeah. out. There's no footy on. Yeah. What a disgrace. Know, Everyone's saying that. Misses. Oh, God. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, what am I going to do? And so everyone on Twitter is basically saying, like, this ridiculous play should just be, you know, hubbing it straight away, you know, locking themselves down, making sure there's no more COVID outbreaks. And really, that's, that is ridiculous. But for people that have lived through lockdown for the last two years now, football players, they've been on the road for a month. They went out and watched a rugby game. Like, 
because that's what you're going to do. You're going to go out with your team, enjoy something very sensibly, be proud ambassadors for their club and cross code and the state and all the rest of it. They have done nothing wrong. And none of the, none of the players that who have um, yeah, been in these tier one sites who need to isolate have done anything wrong. And as you said, sometimes you just can't predict these things are going to happen. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. We're in the middle of this weird disease. We're in a place where now, like, you know, you could wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I went to the supermarket last night. I got to go isolate for 14 days. Yeah. Just is what it is. You're not suggesting that players uh, are allowed to be human, are you? I, 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 I am. I'm, it's, oh, a, it's a novel concept, but maybe, maybe we just let them be humans. Maybe. I reckon that's a good starting point. I think, my God, the criticism. How how dare they go and, and watch another sport? They should be in it their was, homes. And, you know, that was a good, good game of rugby union too, actually, that night. Yeah, so. uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. No, no, I think that, yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. Hey, I've got some questions for you, boys, um, ones that I thought of um, in the lead-up about five minutes ago. Alistair Clarkson and Sam Mitchell, now they had a mediation session last Wednesday, okay? And uh, yeah. according to... According to Caroline, oh god, the eye, the eye roll, I can see it, I can feel well, it, I can hear it. Mediation, uh, I think that's what Caroline Wilson yeah. called it, but that yeah. was denied. But anyway, can I finish the question here? God. Um, you can't mention the word Hawthorne around him without him getting oh, all right. Yeah. I just wanted to be factually correct. Yeah, no, so as I was saying, according to Caroline Wilson's sources, and she made okay. it clear through her sources that Mitchell wanted clean air next year without Clarkson by his side. Now, the the, the, the club, Hawthorne, um, through obviously Justin Reeves, he said that uh, they're actually working together better than expected. So he denied all of that stuff. Uh, Nico, as a passionate Hawthorne one-eyed fan, um, what is your first reaction about this story? I... My first reaction, well, I, I didn't take it very seriously to start with because, A, I don't think it's a big story, firstly. Secondly, I mean, if this isn't the first time Caroline Wilson has spoke a bunch of hearsay and, um, yeah, I, I just I don't think we can look too much into it because during her whole rant, she was going on about, oh, she doesn't know if it, she doesn't know if it's, Clarkson who wants to leave. She doesn't know if it's Kenneth that wants Clarkson out. She doesn't know if it's Sam Mitchell that wants Clarkson out. We we don't know. She was just speculating and she was pinning it all on other people telling her things, but she never really came to a conclusion on what, sorry, what Hawthorne were actually doing. No, well, I, I read it differently, Nico. Obviously what Caroline Wilson does is she has sources that, give her information and since obviously the Essendon saga was the biggest kind of example of um, people telling her things that were true that became true and she doesn't like to reveal her sources otherwise she's not going to be sources anymore obviously you can't but you know there's been times where she said things that have happened in in the club and one recent example is the St Kilda situation where the club wasn't happy with the players going home early got shot down quite quickly yeah but that that Nick I mean you read between the lines that it gets of course the club's going to shut really I think she copped a lot of criticism for that story she copped criticism rubbish no, no. There was no need to bring it up. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. No, I agree with that. There was no need to bring it up. That doesn't mean it wasn't true. She was saying that the St Kilda board uh, or people at St Kilda or whatever were yeah, unhappy staff with Staff members were unhappy players. with it, yeah. And and I still believe that to be true because people have obviously told her that and, and she's called them directly. So, you know, Nick, 
clubs have to save face and they have what they say publicly is not exactly what they're going to say behind closed doors. So what happens in club land is people are unhappy, like in a workplace and, and you're not going to, if the boss asks you, Hey, are you, did you say this? You go, no, I didn't say that. I've got no problem with Gordo, even though everyone doesn't like Gordo. Which no, is we, pretty, we, you know. Yeah. I understand that. I so, just... And so what happens, Nick, is you would, anyone who's been watching footy close enough or who knows a little bit about Clarko, a little bit about Sam Mitchell, is clubs have big personalities and have strong people like them too. Now, of course, it's, it was no surprise to me to find out that Sam Mitchell might not want to work under or next to Clarko next year. That is no surprise. Of course, I mean, her saying that a source revealed that is not shocking in the slightest. Okay. These are, and, and I think. Sam Mitchell's not meant to coach Hawthorne next year. He's coaching Box Hill. Yeah, he it's a succession plan, right? Yeah. So he wants free air next year. He doesn't he doesn't want Clarko to be there. He wants to take over. Clarko obviously didn't want to leave, which we all presumed until he came out and said, No, it's all good, everything's fine. And and the Hawthorne fans believe every word that Clarko says. So of course they're gonna go, Yeah, no, no, it's fine. But these things happen in clubs. Now, why this is a story is because the succession plan came pretty quickly and they're suggesting that Hawthorne might have rushed this. This might have come from Jeff Kennett, because rather than let Sam Mitchell go to Collingwood or get an offer somewhere else, they wanted him at the club and they've rushed this decision. Gordo, what's your take on it? We'll be back after a quick break. probably a fair enough you know analysis of the facts and rumors that we have in play at the moment and i suppose you have to just take a journalist on their word and if you believe them or not believe them that's their that's their credibility and their um reputation that they've fostered from previous stories so obviously she's done a great job for you jimmy she has done a terrible job for nico yep uh you know it makes it makes sense what i don't understand then is why they rushed that decision what like if if yep. there is this, you know, uh, unrest and this unwillingness to work under a mentor next year, then why not take the end of the season to make the decision? Basically, go to Sam Mitchell and be like, we, we're going to employ you next year. If you want to be head coach, we're going to try our hardest to get you into that head coach role. And then we'll announce something at the end of the year when we have more time to work it out. And then they have eight weeks to go to Clarko and say, cool, what would it take for you to step down? A year earlier to your contract, do we pay you out more? Do we do whatever? Do we back end some bonuses? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah no. whatever. I don't understand. I don't understand why, if people aren't happy, why they've gone down the succession plan. Because history does suggest that succession plans, everyone needs to be on board for it to work. And even when they are, it didn't even really work out. Yeah, well with yeah. Essen. So, yeah, fair enough. Some have in the past have worked. Some haven't. Obviously, the Malthouse Buckley one is a, is a big example where people remember it um, for failing, but. Um, I mean, you, 
you're suggesting, I mean, once the decisions are made in, in club, we know how footy land works. Like someone's going to leak a story or someone's going to say something. So I think it's either, you know, to hold on to something behind closed doors for that long, I don't think would have worked either way. But we know how much of a pull Clarko has at that club and he wants to make a lot of the decisions. So, I mean, if it was up to him, he would still be coaching is, is what we've gathered from this and what, you know, people mm-hmm. are saying close to the club. Yeah. Obviously, Jeff Kennett, he's publicly said that you've got to put emotion aside and 18 years at one club is too much. So it needs to be time rather than saying, Hey, Clarko, your time's up, mate. It's like, Hey, we'll do a succession plan. So you look great. We're not sacking you. You've done a great job and it'll be a changeover and it'll look like you're you're all all on board with this. Hmm. Well, I mean, the, the success, the succession plan, I will find out in a few years if it was right or wrong. Obviously, someone's time's going to come to an end, and it's always going to look bad whether you say whether you sack him straight away, whether you agree mutually to part ways, or whether you put a succession plan in place. It's it's never going to look good. And Kevin Sheedy has said in the past that he should have finished up at Essendon seven years before he actually did. But the, the Caroline Wilson story, uh, we don't even know. She didn't even specify or confirm that it was Sam Mitchell that wanted Clarkson out next year. She said yeah, that's she her did. opinion. She said that's her opinion. That's, that's what she thinks. She no, said it she could said also under- be Clarkson. It could also be Clarkson that just wants to stay in um stay in place or it could be Kenneth that wants Clarkson out. She doesn't actually know what the situation is and we don't know what the situation she, is. We she don't know said what that, this that Mitchell mediation was all someone about. Someone told her that Mitchell wanted clean air next year without Clarkson on his side. That was her she said that that's her understanding. But she couldn't confirm it. Well, she can't confirm the source. That's, no, she that's couldn't confirm sure. the story. She couldn't actually say that that's what the mediation right. last week was all about. All right, interesting one, Nico. We like to chat about Hawthorne on here. <laughs> Speaking of Hawthorne, should the draws be scrapped and we go to a shootout to decide the winner? Yes or no, as Gordo shakes his head <laughs> viciously. Why? Why? We had a system in place. We have four points for a win. We have two points yep. for a draw. We have zero points for a loss. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Why? Because why? every time there's an international tournament in another sport, we have to compare the two with our sport. That's what Australians do for some reason. When the Super Bowl's on, oh, we've got to discuss night grand finals. Whenever there's a soccer tournament on, we've got to discuss penalty shootouts. It's yeah, just the way we roll and it's ridiculous. Well, it normally comes from one producer who's watched soccer for the first. Oh, have a look what these blokes are doing. And then they go, oh, that'd be nice for footy. But I think it, it it's always the let's improve our product. How can we improve our product? How can we make it more exciting? How can we make, get more eyeballs? And we Don't know that it's what's not broken. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's the irony about like the soccer situation with the penalty shootout is that no one likes a penalty shootout in, in soccer. I know there's actually been criticism <laughs> that they should get rid of the penalty shootout because it doesn't make any sense. Like, if you had a nil all draw after 120 minutes of football, I mean, it's only deciding it's about last, who can yeah. kick it, yeah, who can kick a who can kick a goal from the spot is hardly like the best indicator of who should win that won that game. But oh, that's right. you have to do it. Like if someone needs to win to, the trophy, you so. have to decide a winner. But you don't have to win the home and away season. No, in the home and away you can season, just have a football, draw. There's draws, and you only get one point for it. But that can be, and that's at the end of the season. Two points is still two points. I mean, Melbourne are on top of the ladder by two points, and I don't think you should. No, I think it's silly. I don't like it. I don't like it. We all agree on something, which is great. Um, 
Boys, are the Eagles back at all? They had a big win, I guess you could say, big win. They didn't start well against Adelaide, but they'd been in a rut and they lost to North Melbourne, which Nick said was the worst team he's ever seen in his lifetime. Uh, They lost to them on Monday night and they came out and beat Adelaide. Uh, A lot of players played well. They didn't have Josh Kennedy. Jamie Cripps kicked uh, five goals in his career best game. Um, They kicked 10 goals in the second half. Are they back? I mean, they they did well. They're certainly back on track. But in terms of the premiership race, no, I think that ship has well and truly sailed. Window shut, is it, Nicholas? Yep. Done. So it means nothing, that win. Okay, Gordo, are you of the same opinion? Yeah, pretty much. They've, they've, they've shown their true colours against the better sides and they should be beating sides like Adelaide. And the fact that they didn't beat the Roos the week before is actually more of an indictment when they can come out and dust the Crows after a slow start. That doesn't, that doesn't prove anything. And I really can't now. Like, the only way they can prove something is, you know, finishing top four, like winning two weeks of the finals, like things they're not going to be able to achieve this year. So, yeah, I, yeah. I can't see them making a big run in finals. I mean, it's, it's good to see Nick Nat play good footy. Gaff played well. Yo was finally back to his best. Shannon Hearn, I guess, played well. But all of those key players hadn't really performed up until that point. And against Adelaide, let's remember it's Adelaide who have lost what, 11 of their last 13 or something. Mm-hmm. It's not a, uh, a big deal that they've, they've won that game. I don't see them doing much in finals. Um, last one from me, then we'll get to the tweets and emails. Is the state of commentary that bad or are we just a little bit too harsh on Twitter? Because, you know, there's a lot of commentary, especially commentary on commentary over the weekend. Um, BT made a couple of mistakes. He called him um, Jack Hawkins. He said 11 teen. Uh, he said, um, Camden McIntosh um, made a mistake. Camden McIntosh had a history of hamstring injuries and he hasn't. Um, just things like that. Like, are we too critical about the way the game is commentated or is it not good? Um, yeah, look, I think we can't read into too much about the little mistakes commentators make, but I do feel like commentary over the last year or two, um, there is a lot of sensationalism in commentary these days. And, yeah, I think, especially on Channel 7, I feel that there's a lot of commentators that just try and try to try too much, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, they try and make it a bit about them. That's my opinion. But, yeah, that's how I feel towards commentary at the moment. Gordo? I wrote a little bit of a tin hat conspiracy about this. Uh, you like a I reckon tin hat conspiracy? It, I reckon it could be deliberate. What's deliberate? Oh, As in, like, BT's saying 11-team because he knows that if he says 11-team, he's going to oh. get pasted oh, on Twitter. That. And then BT starts trending on Twitter. All the Channel 7 commentary train starts trending on Twitter. You take a little, you take a little screen, screen cap of the Channel 7 snippet, 11-team, and then that goes and starts trending. And so then it just gets some forward of mind. In the battle between Channel 7 versus Fox footy, or it could I don't just know. Be, no, you could just be getting old and... It's early signs of Alzheimer's creeping into <laughs> the, the great maybe, man. Maybe, I mean, any publicity is good publicity is what Gordo is saying. I get, you know, that there's, yeah. there's a point there. I think it's very different to any other sport in the world, I feel. I mean, most of the time the sport is the entertainment. That's the main product. Here you feel a little bit like the commentator is the, the main product. Um, I think when you, you know, they're different sports. I know that. And we don't want to relate everything to world football. But when you, you hear you know, world football and you, and I've listened to commentators explain what, what makes them better it is in, in world football is that they don't over commentate. You don't need to 
explain every single twist and turn and he fell over then got back up and mm-hmm. and everything when it's on the screen i'm talking about television here and you can see that with world football they don't need to explain everything that's happening because we have eyes as well but they add to what the viewer needs to know you meant to complement the game not over the game it. that's exactly mm-hmm. right that's what i feel that sometimes we lack I don't know. Yeah. Well, incidentally harsh. enough, I saw an interesting uh, quote from Richie Beno that oh, was yeah. reposted on Instagram today that said, I was told to never insult the viewer by telling them what they could already see. Mm. Oh, there you go. It's a timely quote. Good quote, yeah. I like that. That's very good. Hey, speaking of a timely quote, um, Matt from Oakley had a great quote. He said, how good is footy? Go Blues. And he, he loved that win on the weekend. Now, I think he knows Dario Casale, who usually posts on Facebook after a Collingwood win or after, Colling- or after Carlton lose. And so he was giving it back to the uh, Collingwood fans for that win. That was a good win, wasn't it, boys? I mean, we spoke about it before. But yeah. I think to add to that was the emotion around Jack Silvani and the moment in the last quarter. I mean, brilliant mark, big mark, even his, and his goal in the second quarter as well when he pointed to the sky and the tears afterwards. And it just showed... I thought it was brave of him to play that game after the week he had, but but to perform on that stage, that was brilliant for me. And it was almost fitting that it was against Collingwood as well, which oh, yeah. I liked, and they won, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So Collingwood fans, that'd be pretty fil- filthy with that one, you reckon, boys? Always uh, into the arch rival. I suppose so, but that's one I'm probably meant to lose. Oh, against the arch rival, I don't think you can ever you know, need to lose that one. I mean, that's the one that you think, you know, you, you listen to the derbies around the world. I said, I don't care if we win the league or not. We just want to beat the scum. And they hate each other, Carlton and Collingwood here. And Carlton and had a few injuries as well. We mentioned Paddy Cripps didn't play. So did. that was a big advantage for Collingwood. They did. And and the fact, I think, that they came home strong, Carlton, they, they looked out of it completely. And it was a kind of a reversal from what happened last week when Collingwood overran Richmond in the final mm-hmm. stages of the game, which we'll never mention again. Dario Casale, he... Uh, emailed in and he said, who do you think will win the Brownlow and who is your dark horse? And he said, for me, I think the Bont will win. My dark horse is Took Miller. Boys, give me your picks, please. Pretty sure Took Miller uh, got suspended, so he can't win it. Maybe. Okay. I'll double check. Oh, he, no, he is. He is. He's ineligible. No, you're, you're correct. Yeah. He is. Yep. See, so that's how much Gold Coast gets pushed aside too much. That's the whole point of that, is that we don't have a... Uh, a good look at Gold Coast, even when they perform. If he didn't get suspended, would he still be up there, though? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, of the betting companies, sports bet being our one, uh, advertising him as like they've opened up a market saying like if you want to, if you think he'd top the tally, yeah. Obviously, he can't win the yeah, Brownlow, but if he tops the, top the tally, yeah, uh, yeah, here's the odds for that. So yeah, yeah he's in he's in people's minds at the moment. And yeah. I've been Took Miller's biggest fan this season as well. Um, you didn't even know he got suspended. I, I don't think Gold Coast. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, but Gold Coast, I don't think they've won enough games. And also, like you said, Gold Coast and Took Miller ha- aren't really in the limelight or haven't been mm. the most part of the season, so he won't get noticed. But Bont and Pally, just for being named Bont and Pally, is the automatic favourite, and we'll probably come home with it. But I think Sam Walsh, if he has a strong finish to the season. I reckon he's a big chance. And if, Col- uh, if Carlton win a few of their last games, he could come home strong. Yeah. I've got a Darcy Parrish as a, as a dark horse. Darcy Parrish has been good, but I don't think Essendon have won enough games. Now, I, I think I think the Bont may win it, but even when you compare him to Petrarca, right? Now, they're very, they've got very similar stats for the season. Um, I mean, compared, I think 
Petrarca's averaging more disposals, more contested possessions, but Bont's got him in, in goals by like, I don't know, two goals or whatever it is. But I think it's the way that the Bont plays and impacts the game. So it's the, like when you see him running out of the, uh, running out of the middle, a great kick, he kicks goals, he sets them up. His impact is, is probably more than Petrarca's or the ones around him. And because he is a kind of nice guy, the umps like him, you know, and the umps, will, they do the votes. So to be honest, I think as well with Bont, um, he, his disposal efficiency isn't great. You know, yeah, I don't think look at this season, like he, had, he had 36 disposals on the weekend and had 15 clangers. Well, you know about doing... 50% efficiency, but somehow still got nine coaches' votes. And yeah, also, when you get the ball that much, to... Nick, when you get the ball that much, some of them aren't going to be fantastic. I don't think his efficiency is that much. Clangers. Yeah, but if a third of your disposals are clangers, that's not really a great day it's out, is it? It's a lot. And he got yeah, nine coaches' votes, which is just. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand. And also, McRae's had a great year, and Dunkley started the season off great, so they might still vote off Bonton Palace. They might still vote, but those are those disposals are not the impactful disposals for me. They're the ones that they get the ball and get it out to someone who can use mm. it. And I think the way that Bont plays, he steals more of the attention, and he might get votes because of that. But I think Petrarca might be up there. He's only kicked two less goals than than the Bont has as well. And Melbourne, obviously, we see how many games they've won as well. So he'll be up there. Um, but I'm, I'm probably – I'm going to pick Bont. I'll pick the Bont as my winner. Is it, are they? Is he yours? No, Nick thinks he's terrible. No, you're not yours, Nico Gordo? I'll go. I'll go. I want to back Walsh, so. Yeah. <laughs> right. There you go. I think it's I think it's Bont to lose. But yes, I reckon a smoky wins this year. It's been a pretty even competition. Has been. Weird, another weird year with the COVID, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know why I haven't paid as much. Like, I don't pay as much attention during the year to, like, oh, who's going to win the Brownlow kind of thing? It is a midfielder's medal and it's still very prestigious. Don't get me wrong, but it's kind of, I think it, the system is outdated. I, I don't think we can rely on umps. They've got so many things to do, the umps, that I don't think we can rely on them to vote for the, totally the most prestigious award. And that's why sometimes when people ask me, well, who's, your, who's your pick? I don't really know because I don't, that's not something that comes to you know, my mind straight away when I'm watching a game. God, he's, you know, he's going to win the brown low. Like it's, I think it's outdated the way the system is. Um, Josh Chanvern, this is the first time he's tweeted in and he said, has Teague done enough? This is very Carlton-centric, this. Has Teague done enough for the board to have confidence in him? Well, if Clarko is available, I think I'll be going all out for him. <laughs> but I don't know. I still think I still had Carlton in my like I didn't have Carlton in my top eight at the start of the season, but many fans, many Blues fans would have, and I think that was the pass mark fatigue. And the fact that oh, if they don't make wow. it, if they don't make it, that's. I mean, what do you mean? Wow, they brought in two star well, players at the start of the season. I understand, Nick, but you they should be playing finals. Okay, they, but you didn't pick them too. So well, I knew they, what to expect. And you predicted at the start of the season then that they would lose lose David Teague because if he, they don't make the eight, he goes. I don't think he'll go straight away. I'm not saying he'll go this year, but uh, I don't think they'll have complete confidence in him if they don't. Okay, no, all right. if they don't finish in the top eight, there's not enough confidence. So he's a dead no. man walking next season, maybe, for Nico. Uh, Gordo. I think the lower ones are a bit tricky because this year it's so close. So they could finish 13th and be a win outside the eight. They could finish ninth and be a win outside the eight. So I don't know how much you can read into the ladder. Is their best football good enough? Yes. I suppose they've got the review going on. Has he, 
I, it's like the reverse Clarko for me, Carlton, because as I said, with Hawthorne, if they have a good win, it's all oh, their list so bad. So Clarko's a genius. If Carlton win, it's always, oh, look at their list. Their list so good. Nothing about the coach. If they lose, oh, Teague's, Teague can't coach. They can't mm. defend. So I think he's on a hiding for nothing. He doesn't have any cachet as a coach. He has no, he has no um, brownie points. He's got nothing yeah, going for no him. Credit really. in the so, bank, eh? No credit in the bank. So it's, yeah, he has to, it, a lot of it has to go right for him to stay on as coach long-term, I think. Okay. So a long-winded way of saying he's getting sacked. Um, no, I don't believe... That I, you know what what annoys me is that Carlton have had this this bloody um, habit of sacking coaches too early, and they've done it so often. Like, just give the man some time. Honestly, I mean, he when you look back at how how long he's actually coached, it's not many games. And also, you could look, you can put last year and say it's a write off because everything was interrupted. And for a new coach in his in his first official season to go through that, geez, give him some time. And now they're going through the board review. There's a lot of people in the board and in the staff in the hierarchy there that need to go first before Teague does, because it's just the same things that keep happening. And it's a new cycle. If you sack Teague, where do you go next? You bring someone in. And if he doesn't perform in a season and a half or two seasons, sack him as well. I think then it doesn't happen overnight. I don't think you can keep sacking coaches. I so think, I think the recruiting process was rushed as well. I mean, he, fatigue, he because, yeah. because he had a few good games, came in his interim, they won a few right. games and they bought into that. Yeah, they're playing a different system. I mean, when he first came in, they played a very much more freedom, and he allowed the players to express themselves. And so that exactly. when, so when, why did they read into it? Well, I'll tell you why. System. Well, I'll tell you why. Well, so I don't know about that, but I know why he changed it. Is because they started scoring heavily against Carlton, and he and he needed to be more defensive, more structure, exactly. so they don't get they don't get scored against as heavily. But yeah, I mean, when they're all fit, Charlie Kerno makes a difference. One or two class players can make a difference. Um, I know Nick doesn't believe me, but it can. And I've been bullish about the Blues. Uh, you are a member. I'm, I'm a member, unfortunately. If you could get Clarko next year, though, as a Blues member, will you be voting for Clarko? <laughs> I'm not a true Blues member. It was a joke that I got given a, a membership. Uh, would I want Clarko? I mean, I think Clarko's overrated. Um, hashtag <laughs> the gym session, please, and get involved. That is massive. I hope that's the headline of the podcast. And let's see the feedback you get. Yeah, no, don't. How can he be overrated? Someone who's been to five grand finals has won four of them. How? Tell me how. I'll tell you why, Nico, is because the way he's a fantastic coach and he's probably the best coach that we've seen, but. You just said he was overrated. Yeah, exactly. You put him next to God is what Hawthorne fans do. I'll tell you what, what Lee Matthews says this as well. He goes, show me a good coach, a successful coach, and I'll show you a good group of players. Sometimes it's about the players that are around you that make you look like a better coach. Now, and every, said Lee Matthews. Lee Matthews, Lee Matthews was the biggest culprit for this. Lee everything, said everything about the Brisbane Lions was a Lee Matthews show. Oh, mm. but does it, he said he's got good players. He, he wouldn't have been as successful if he didn't have those players around him. That's what he said. It doesn't matter who, how good of a coach you are, you've got to have good players around okay, you. Okay, but I'll also argue, without Clarkson on the weekend, Hawthorne actually don't get a draw against Melbourne. With that group of players he had. Okay, well, what, mate, Nick? David Teague. David Teague <laughs> is not drawing that game against Melbourne on the weekend. Nick, I don't care. Anyway, yeah, I think Gordo could have got a draw against that Melbourne side on the wall. I reckon anyone could. You're underwriting me as a coach, then. No, sorry, I'll say that again. I reckon Nick could have got a draw against. I mean, Melbourne were woeful, and what happened was they. Hawthorne made them look woeful. 
because they set up defensively quite well. Not it was the system. It wasn't. It wasn't. Sam, it wasn't Sam Frost or Cole Hardigan having a blinder to save Hawthorne. It was the system they had in place defensively. That you know what else they did? They got the ball to ground in the forward line brilliantly. And when the pressure's not on, and then your contested game's not on in the back line, mm. you just allow the Hawks to pick it up, scrap it, bang it through. And that's what happened at the end as well. The, the plays were good, but it was a tactical one. When the teams came in, Hawthorne you know had four or five tall players. They know. brought in, they had Mitch Lewis, Cosie, O'Brien, Jekka, Nash in the side as well. He was a late change. but And then two Ruckman, Reeves and McAvoy. I'm like, we're going to get run off our feet against Melbourne, the best team in the competition. <laughs> But look what happened. So. Look what happened. You know what was funny? I found funny was after the get. So when Hawthorne win, it's all it's all Clarko. When 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 they lose, it's all the players. When they draw, you know what the fans were saying? Oh, I reckon Sam Mitchell had something to do with this. <laughs> they just absolutely. Well, I mean, he, for the okay. last two or three weeks, we I go. think he has there had a go. no. He has had a word in on team selection, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm led to believe. All right, last one to finish off. This has been an extended episode, but it's been a good chat. We, we enjoy it when we get emotional. And um, hey, Gusto was good today. It was actually really good. Um, the last, <laughs> Nico was very upset at me the other week when I tried to get our Gusto up and got offended. I apologize for that. I had a bad day. Glad we've um, met your standards this week, mate. <laughs> Nico, last one. Frank Scalisi just sent this in literally as we were recording. And he wanted to know, boys, how long is a premiership window open for? And who has had the longest and how often do they come? Now, just off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to my head when we talk about premiership windows is Geelong. And they may be, they topped up recently to extend their window, right? And they may have had in recent times the longest, right? That's just mm. out of my memory. Um, so the way that the system is these days with draft picks and everything like that and equalization. So it, for me, I think Geelong's had pretty much the longest because they can top up players. But the danger obviously is you can extend it too long, which we've seen with Hawthorne who did it a couple of years too late. They tried to extend it too long and now they're in the rebuilding phase and they had the bottom out and, you know, North of bottomed out as well when they, they made a couple of prelims and they try to get rid of uh, some older players. Um, so that for me, and I see Richmond's extending for another 10 years. No, 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 let's be fair. I mean, some players, it depends on um, it, like, you've got to read your list. Well, Right, and I think Geelong's done that perfectly in in recent times. That's my opinion. What about you, boys? I reckon Geelong reads it better than better than most. And we talk about underrated coaches. Number one underrated coach in the competition is Chris Scott. You love Chris Scott. Seventy two percent winning record in his coaching career. Yeah. Alistair Clarkson, the person next to God, only is only at fifty eight percent. Alistair oh, Clarkson yeah. finds himself on seven, on the on the seventeenth rung of the ladder. Now you can say, oh, he was gifted his grand final victory. He was gifted this amazing squad. But he had the ability with his with his team with his with his employees to work out what's missing in our list every year. Every year, Geelong keeps topping up. They've been topping up for two decades now, almost. It has been. With and and, they, and their window is still open. So how long is a window open for? It can be open for a very long time. Doesn't mean you'll take the premiership though, which is two <laughs> yeah, parts. Which is the question. Question. I'm, I'm, I'm not disregarding quite a good coach, but he's gone through zero rebuilds, like proper rebuilds. Clarkson's he gone doesn't have through. To. He's he's completed the rebuild. Oh, he's cutting out. Three rebuilds. Thank God. Sorry, Clarkson. Yeah, no. Clarkson has gone through three rebuilds. (laughs) Chris Scott's gone through zero. 
So yeah, that makes Chris Scott the better coach because he can yeah. read his list on the fly. No, even that's, even a, that's not that's not Chris team. Scott. That's a club. That's a club thing. So, um, but Clarkson arrived when Hawthorne were right at the bottom. So obviously, it's going to take a few seasons to get them yeah. back up again. Um, but I do agree with you. Geelong are in the window, but when they do fall, they're going to fall well, hard. They've yeah, got they've yeah, got they've got a lot of players. players. Over the age of thirty, they've got, got a, lot. a fair few. They will fall hard when it comes. But that's it. You got to you know rack up the premierships, and they've had their chances. They've been thereabouts and just failed. When it they just got to win one now, means most. They've got to win one. They have to win. It is a big most. opportunity. They have to win it this year and next year. That's it. Then you're gone, and that's the window, and that's the show. Um, Nico's got to go pray to uh, Alistair Clarkson. Actually, don't go anywhere because straight after this, we are talking to the one and only Mitch Morden. What an interview that's going to be. Still have so, not missed about him. That's right. 2012 grand final. That was brilliant. Hope you enjoyed that chat and I hope you enjoy this interview. Thanks, guys. Yes, Jimmy! Morton has to fish for it. Still fishing. No one's got him. And he's hooked a big one. He can kick a goal, this man. Morton puts it through. That's his second. Okay, today's guest is a premiership hero who spent nine years in the AFL system playing 83 games and kicking 116 goals. Through his time at West Coast, Richmond and Sydney, this man established himself as a clever forward who could snap a goal from any angle. He not only won a Michael Roach medal in 2009 as the Tigers' leading goal kicker, he became a finals hero in 2012 after four goals in the series, including a double in the Swans' incredible premiership triumph over Hawthorne. Through his career, he battled with severe anxiety and after overcoming problems by learning about the condition post-footy, he started up his own business to help others who are facing similar problems. Through seminars, podcasts, and daily tips, this man is continuing to support the community in living the best life possible. It is my great pleasure to welcome Mr. Anxiety himself, Mitch Morton, to the podcast. Welcome, Mitch. A very nice intro. Well uh, well researched, well delivered. Well done, mate. Thanks for having me. It's um, good to be here. No, my pleasure, mate. And I'm a big fan of yours uh, on on the field, but also off it. And I just want to say congrats quickly on the weekend. Lazy nine goals for you. I think it was your uh, your fourth game of the year or, or something like that. But is it true that that was the first time or this year was the first time you hadn't thrown up before a game in, in since you were about 15? Yeah, I think 2002. Mm. I had my first experience. Um, well, it wasn't the first time I'd ever thrown up before yep. a sporting event, uh, but it was when it started with football and it kind of became really normal to me. I look back now and I kind of wonder why I pushed myself through it. But at the time, you know, in life, things kind of get better and things get worse, you know, gradually <laughs> in little increments, as I call it. And yeah, for me, I just started vomiting and it kept happening and then it became really normal. And I did it for 19 years. And this year I've finally been able to play a game of football. That was the first one I've got through four quarters, which was fun. <laughs> uh, but for me, you know, it's not about the goals and stuff like that. It's about having energy and enjoying the day. And I felt like on the weekend I had more energy than I've ever had well since, you know, for a long time on a football field. And it's such a nice feeling. Yeah. Such a nice feeling. It's hard to explain. 
Yeah, no, I can imagine. It's incredible that every game you played, you'd throw up before it. it. It's incredible to hear that. And and I heard you speak about anxiety starting as early as when you were seven, like before a running race, you'd, you'd throw up and things like that. But it really kicked in when you're about 15. Um, before that, you were, you were like a, a happy-go-lucky kid. You always had a footy in your hand. You went to boarding school. You loved it. You lived in a small country town. Now, is it is it true that you live next door, literally next door to Nat Fife? Yeah, so... Literally next door. Yeah. And we're not talking about, it is a farming community like yeah. Grace, but we're not talking about farms where the houses are a couple of kilometers apart. Literally yeah. we're talking next door. So we shared the same fence. Our cat Felix jumped the fence one day and never came back. So <laughs> the Fife's ended up looking after our cat and became their cat. So that's how close we were with yeah. the Fife's and everybody else on the street. So um, we were very, very lucky to grow up where we grow up. And I think Nat would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You still keep in contact with Nat? Well, Nat's a fair bit younger than me. Yeah. Uh, not particularly, but when we see each other, it's always nice to catch up. I see his parents probably more mm-hmm. than I see him um, heading back to Lake Race to play football this year. I, I, I bump into David and Christine a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good to see them as it is with everybody else back in that community. Yep. Yeah. So you were drafted to West Coast at 17, I believe, as a uh, 2004 draft. You, you arrived at the Eagles during a successful time, obviously. Um, what was the club um, culture like for you personally? Now, I know you've mentioned it was like, uh, ran like a tight ship. Also, guys, were, you know, like Chris Judd were at the peak of their celebrity status and you'd walk in the street with them and people would be screaming at, at Juddy. What was that like to walk into that kind of environment? Well, it was a kind of, it's a double-edged sword because it was it was amazing to see that machine in action mm. and that side was phenomenal i would argue that that is probably the best midfield that's ever been put on a football field yeah. judd kerr cousins embley cox braun fletcher stengline that is i think that's the best yeah. midfield and i got to i got to train with them every day i got to you know be part of that so that was unbelievable and i still apply lessons that I learned in my life from those people, you know, um, and the way they went about it now in what I'm doing now. So that was fantastic, but I couldn't get a game. So, you know, I was seeing all these other kids who were drafted in a similar age to me in the bottom four or five teams, you know, got given the first 40 or 50 games. Here you go, go and get better. And, you know, myself and Matt Rosa and Mark LaCroix and Bo Wilkes, who's now Bo Maester, and all these guys were fighting to get one game it was too hard you know we we're playing really really well in the waffle and couldn't get a call so it's really hard it's really hard going to a good club we're seeing that this year with the number one draft pick i don't know his name but i've read in the yeah jamari Hagen. yeah yes so he uh i don't follow footy that closely but i've seen that he played his first game on the weekend that's challenging and i'd seen mm. that he'd been under a bit of pressure and wasn't in the good performance stuff like that. that's really challenging because yeah. if he goes to a bottom side they'll give him two years of games and guess yeah. how you and guess how you get used to playing AFL football? Have a guess. Playing by playing. <laughs> so how do you reckon his mindset is? Very yeah, very difficult. Right. Yeah. For someone like me who was struggling with anxiety, I found that really hard. Mm. Really hard. So it was a really like I say, uh, bittersweet yeah. um, pill to swallow going into that club because it was amazing seeing such a well-oiled machine in action. It was honestly amazing, but then very hard not getting many games for the first three years. Yeah, you you just said then that it was hard to deal with that, especially with your anxiety, but you didn't really realise it was anxiety at that time, did you? I knew something was wrong. I call yeah. that period of my life 
WTF, the WTF phase, because I knew something was wrong, but this was in 2004. We didn't talk about anxiety and depression like we do now. And this is why I started the startup that I have is to talk about it so that other people can acknowledge what's going on and feel comfortable putting their hand up because I didn't. And then I spiraled and I'm very, very lucky to be sitting here because a couple of things that I've done in my life could have gone either way. So I knew something was wrong and I kept going to the doctor saying there's something wrong with me. And I would Google syndromes and diseases and things that, that the main symptom was low energy because one of the things about anxiety, and I think you have to have anxiety to understand this, you can't sit still, but you have no energy. That's a really, really weird predicament to be in because being in fight or flight mode constantly and being worried all the time drains you of energy, but you find it very difficult to just sit yeah. Sit, sit still so i knew something was wrong and i would go to the doctor and we would do a blood test i think i did eight in my first year or two and it was kind of this just kind of get on with it mitch was kind of the which was you know it's 2004 i don't hold any yeah. grudges but i knew something was up and it took a long long time to work out what it was mm. yeah well you're still during that richmond period you didn't exactly work out what it was but you had a good a good time there i think you've said 2008 2009 were your, your best years you obviously won the michael roach medal you were there during a, a transitional time i think from terry wallace and then you had damien hardwick as a coach as well i think you've said your secret you believe looking back in hindsight to playing good football was the time you spent playing golf so you nearly went and played golf nearly every day yeah so so a few of us I'd never really played any golf other than the odd hit here and there, like anyone does with their mates until I went to Richmond and there was a group of about 10 players who were playing regularly once a week Mm. out at Waterford. I think it's called out near Ringwood there in Melbourne. And we'd go out there once a week and I was horrendous. I'd (laughs) shoot 120. I'd come last. I was no good, but then I kind of just, it made me feel good. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I, it's only now that I've been able to look back and knowing what I know now about the physiology and the neuro, neuro, neurology of anxiety, what it's actually doing when you do something like that. When you have a hobby and with golf, you're chasing this kind of feeling. Mm. You're chasing that, that feeling of hitting the ball. And that's really, really good for people with anxiety because chasing a feeling gets you out of your head. It gets you in, back into feeling things in your body, which is yeah. what you lose when you get anxiety. And so the end of the season came around and I took off to golf school in Queensland. Mm-hmm. I hired a Hyundai Gets up on the on the on the Gold Coast, and I yeah. uh, went to this golf school. And I come back, and I was the best golfer there. So <laughs> that uh, kind of sums me up as a person. I kind of like to to throw myself into things, but yep. I got addicted to that, and I didn't know it at the time. But that was actually giving me a break from being anxious, mm. and I fell in love with it. And uh, me and Jack Rewalt were very very good friends when I was yep. playing at the Tigers, and we were playing golf <laughs> a stupid amount. We were pretty, we got pretty good at it, to be honest, yeah. um, just by the sheer amount of time we were spending and obviously playing AFL footy, you get to meet some other professionals and we met some pro golfers and struck up an awesome friendship with the guys from the house of golf in Malvern mm-hmm. and uh, playing a lot of golf with them and end up playing cricket with them. And we had a lot of fun. It was great times, but I didn't realize until probably the last 12 or 18 months, what that was doing for me mm. and how, good that was for me. And that's why I played my best football because I was actually giving myself a break from being anxious and it was allowing me to kind of recoup energy. And then I was playing the most energetic football that I played Mm -hmm. outside of that, the rest of my career, I just felt like I had no energy and 
you know, I'm aware that people are going to look at that as an excuse. I don't really care to be honest because I feel like I've got that back and I'm, I've kind of got the energy that I used to have in life back. And it's a, it's a great, it's a great feeling. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm really curious about um, what Richmond was like at that time. Obviously it's, it's been well publicized that the big culture shift um, since 2017 at Richmond, but, but back then, what was the club like? You said it was very different to West coast, but in what ways? Well, Every club's different and it's, it's, a, it's a good experience, I think, getting, to, getting to, to, to go to a couple of different clubs and see how they run. Mm. I think West Coast had uh, at the time a lot more money to spend on football operations and in, in their budget and stuff like that and you probably saw that. I saw that in the way that they prepared and that Richmond kind of were on their knees at the time. Mm. I think that's when they had the Fighting Tiger Fund and, Brendan Gale came back and tried to keep the club going. It was a really, really difficult time, and that's that's when we we were there. So they didn't quite have that budget, and you yeah. know it wasn't quite the same facilities. Um, you know, everyone was working just as hard as everyone was at West Coast, but it was just a different uh, type of environment. Mm. Um, then obviously the change of coach came in, uh, which probably I was probably more in Terry Wallace's plans because he got me there. Whereas Damien Harbick got his own group of players in, you know, Sean Grigg and Basha Hooley and guys like that. He brought them in and then 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 they obviously drafted players and that they were yeah. kind of their priority, um, which is just human nature. Um, and at the time, oh, I was probably a little bit out of those plans. I, you know, I won't harp on it, but I, I, to really dig in and change a coach's opinion of you takes a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with that big time. Yeah. Struggled yeah. to find the energy to really dive in, yeah, to it and really, really turn things around. I tried my best, but um, it was a challenging period for me because I went from being someone who was kind of picked to someone who had to really, really fight. Mm. Um, and I still had a few games, a few decent games um, under Damien Harbick. I played a few decent games on a wing at the end of 2010. I got a Brownlow vote. That was <laughs> that was fun getting a Brownlow vote, getting yeah. your name, get called out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I kind of went out of the plans, which is, you know, that's fine. Did what I had to do to get another opportunity in Sydney and um, obviously very, very lucky to be a part of that that team and have the opportunities that were given to me there. Um, but yeah, great experience. Such a good experience to go across three different clubs. Richmond obviously had the culture change at the end, the end of 2017. And people say to me, what was Damien Hardwick like as a coach? Yeah. And I say to people, every single coach in the AFL is a good coach. You don't make it to the AFL without being a good coach. You do your time as an assistant and you learn and, and he was a good coach. I, I just wasn't in his plans. Mm. That's, and what, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. He's like, you know, I, I, what I, you know, if I had my time again and I wasn't, didn't have the anxiety, I wouldn't have, wouldn't, wouldn't have done anything different. I probably just would have worked harder to change his opinion. Mm. That, that's all. I don't hold anything against him. I, I just wish I had the ability to work harder and, and change that opinion. Yeah. yeah. Well, it would have been hard, obviously, with the anxiety that you had. And I think you said that a Richmond coach, I wasn't sure if it was Terry Wallace or Damien Hardwick, asked you, you know, why do you start games so well? And then at the end, you, you drop off a bit. And that was the energy levels. As you said, you, you couldn't sleep well. You just used up all your energy and, and you're throwing up before games. So you couldn't run out games. And like you said, only this weekend, you ran out four quarters. So it would be hard to prove yourself to a coach for sure. Yeah, I found it really difficult and I touched on it before, you know, people are going to, you know, see this as an excuse, but 
they're welcome to do an experiment. Go for a run with one of your mates who's around the same fitness level as you. And when you wake up in the morning, have your breakfast, put your fingers down your throat and vomit it back up and then have a couple of power raids and then do the same and then try and eat a sandwich before the game and then do the same and then run 10K against your mate. Try it. It's really difficult. And what happens is I was able to kind of push hard for the first quarter or so. Mm. Honestly, I'd go out after halftime. I'd normally vomit again at halftime. And that half, that warm-up after halftime, I was struggling to yeah. get through the warm-up. The warm-up, which is a couple of running drills. And yeah. then the and then the, and then the, the heat would come on and the, the game would start. And I'd try my best, but I mean, you're playing against guys that are in the peak of it, you know, physical. Um, they're in their peak physical form they're ever going to be in and they're you know and it's hard it's really hard AFL is a hard enough game as it is so the reason that I talk about this stuff and bring it up and I'm so open with it is because there are other people out there right now and it might not be AFL football but they're in their job and they're going through exactly this in their job yeah they've got a boss who's kind of putting a bit of pressure on them and there's someone next to them who's getting all this praise and they're just not things just aren't working for them they're trying they're trying but they're not sleeping Maybe they're having issues with their food. They're overthinking things. They've just got no energy. And I'm here to tell people that is not normal. Mm. The way I played my football career is not normal. It's not normal. It wasn't enjoyable. And it's not normal to go out against guys who, are, who, who, who aren't going through that and try to have to compete. So if you're going through something like that, you've got to find a way to deal with it. You've got to find yep. a way to deal with it. When you, you moved to Sydney, obviously 2012, it was a, it was a good year to move. Actually, uh, you play really well in the reserves that year. You kick bags of goals. You kick over 70 goals, and you're actually selected in the team. But you find out that someone in the leadership group didn't want you in the team because they said they couldn't trust you. Now I can imagine going through that hard work to get there, and with the anxiety you're going through, that must have been a pretty difficult time to find out that you're not trusted from the leadership group. Yeah, well, I got picked to play halfway through the year and they kind of vetoed it and said, no, we don't, don't want him in the side. He's got more work to do on his game. And I'd kind of been conditioned that. So what had happened is I'd been dropped a few times early in my career and they said kind of work on this and I'd kind of work on that and then kind of nothing would come of it. And, you know, I'd ended up just end up going back to the way I used to play and kicking a few goals and then I'd come in and it was just, I'd been conditioned to not trust that if I went back and really worked on what they wanted, I would reap rewards from it. Mm. And they're the, one, sorry, they're the one percenters and the pressure acts you're talking about. Like yeah, just the pressure or, and yeah. yeah, and the tackling and stuff like yeah, that. So yeah. I always, by the time I got to Sydney, I had in my mind, well, I've got to work on what they tell me to work on, but I've yeah. also got to kick 10 goals. Mm. So I would kind of try and do both, which is hard yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> and they could see me trying to do both. And it wasn't that I didn't tackle. I just wasn't putting all of my attention on it. And that's what they wanted. Yeah. And so that was a really frank discussion. And then towards the end of the year, I started to, you know, focus way more on that and then didn't worry so much about the goals and stuff like that, the offensive stuff. And my last couple of games of reserves before getting into the senior side, I didn't kick many goals at all, mm-hmm. but I put on a lot of pressure and tackling and that's what I came in for. Yeah. And if you look at my final series, I kicked a few goals, but if you talk to the players, it's probably the, pressure i had nine tackles in the prelim final we kicked six or seven goals from them in a game that we only won by four or five so they're the things that the players that played and the coaches pick up so that was what i kind of brought to the table for the finals was that pressure stuff and i did it and obviously i was very lucky to to be part of a successful side and the goals were kind of a bonus 
Yeah, no, the brilliant goals and the, the brilliant uh, impact you had straight away uh, when you played that qualif- qualifying final against Adelaide and you kick you kicked two goals. And um, you, you spoke, I think you've said previously that it was Adam Goods who you had a chat to and he originally was the one who said he needs to do more before he gets to the team. And then you did more and you earned their trust um, by that. And like you said, it's, it's unfortunate to hear that you, you had no faith in the system because previously coaches would say, go out and do this and you'll get picked or, or you won't get dropped. And, and they did the opposite. But is that the, is that the, um, the message, like communication and that sort of thing? Was that the thing that was different at, at the Swans or that trust you had for each other uh, in the playing group? Well, I'd been burnt. I, I won't say where it was, but I'd been yeah. dropped and going back to reserves earlier in my career. And they told me I wasn't tackling enough. Yeah. So I went out and I had 15 tackles and I went back in excited for my review. Mm. And the coach said, anyone can have 15 tackles if that's all they're trying to do. <laughs> so that was the conditioning that I yeah. had. Yeah. So when I got to the Swans, it took me a while to understand that when they say go out and tackle, they mean go out and tackle at the expense of other stuff. Yeah. So it took me a while to trust that. And the thing is, when I played a couple of games as sub, got dropped from sub round 23, Swans went down to Geelong, got beaten by 50 points. If they win that game, we're not having this conversation. <laughs> they don't change the side. Who knows where I end up? But they lost by 50 points. They played four tools and it didn't work. And so they wanted to bring me in for my pressure. <laughs> the thing is, on the Wednesday, I got told I was playing. I walked past Jared McVeigh, who was captain at the time, and Jared said, you know what you need to do this week? And he just kind of winked at me. And that was it. They didn't need to – no one needed to have a conversation with me. That I'd, I'd, I'd been reconditioned to yeah. the Swan system, and they knew what I was going to bring to the table. They knew it. Hmm. They knew what I was going to bring to the table. So I went into that final series really confident of my role and what I needed to do. Um, so. It was. It all worked out in the end. It all yeah. worked out in the end. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me about Grand Final Day because I love watching it back and those two goals were brilliant. The classic trademark snaps uh, through the big sticks and it was such a big moment. And and you at the end you you contributed to the difference at the end of the at the end of the day and that those second quarter goals were so crucial. But I've heard you speak about it that you were you know you threw up ten times before the game or even at quarter time and half time. Did you look back on that memory fondly or is it kind of, it reminds you of how much anxiety you had when you think of grand final day, what, what memories come back for you? That whole, from I'd say the prelim, I'd started to really fall apart. Mm. I, I hardly slept that weekend of the prelim. We played on a Friday. I was just beside myself. I thought I was going to get dropped. Um, the coaches, John Longmire told me on the Monday that I was playing a war. Yeah. They hadn't even made that decision. They just knew that they just knew that I wouldn't sleep if they didn't tell me I was playing. So they just told me and they thought I'd deal with the consequences later. And grand final day was the first day. I obviously often wouldn't sleep a lot before games, but that was the first day that I brought my dinner up the night before. So I'd actually, by the time of the game, I'd actually gone 24 hours without eating. I couldn't keep power rate down. Yeah. So I only played, I played less than 50% of the game. You know, I, it was, it was a really hard day. Mm. I had no energy at all. I felt I sat the last 12 or 13 or 14 minutes on the bench um, and was went off and was just like, I can't go back on. I, I, I don't have the energy. If, if something big happens as a big moment, I, I, I just 
I don't want to cost the team. So I was very, very happy sitting on the bench for that last bit. I felt like I'd, I'd, done, I'd done what I could do for the day. I look back on it and I'm proud of what I achieved and unbelievably humbled to be part of that team. And I think I got voted in the top three AFL grand finals ever. So very, very, very humbled to be part of that day. And it gives me an unbelievable strength to know that I can get through anything. Mm. So what I'm doing now with the Mr. Anxiety Project and teaching other people how I've learned anxiety has been challenging because getting up on stage in front of 50 people who have paid and got in their car and driven and parked in the city and come to listen to you, that can be nerve-wracking. Going through that process of getting comfortable in that situation is hard, but I know from my experience playing football and that, that we can push through a lot. We can push through a lot. So I'm really proud of what I achieved and super humbled to be a very, very small cog in the awesome machine that was the Swans of 2012. So I look back on it fondly, but it was a really tough day, really yeah. tough day for me, vomiting and the nerves and the anxiousness. And I'd found it very difficult in the finals to hold the football. So uh, if you look at my kicks in the grand final that weren't snaps, they all went sideways straight to the opposition. I, I, I'd, I was so nervous. My hands were shaking. But luckily when you kick a snap, you kind of just drop the ball and let, let gravity yeah. guide it onto your foot, which is a little bit different to the way that you kick with a drop punt. So very lucky to get those two opportunities that I had, um, mm. which were snaps. Otherwise, I'm not sure how I would have gone from a set shot from 40. <laughs> no, you should be very proud, but to get through it with, with what you were going through is incredible. I'm interested in, in hearing about, so I think you said about 24, 25, you, you find out it's anxiety, you pinpoint, this is what I've got. The doctor, when he tells you, you've gone, yes, well, I finally know why I'm feeling this way. Um, you tried different things. I think you said you tried medications, you tried speaking to people and nothing really worked for you. So you decided to just um, study for yourself and, and kind of find your own solution. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so things came to a head. I spiralled after football. I won't go too much into it, but, uh, you know, people can use their imagination. Um, just picture doing stupid stuff for five years and trying to numb the pain of yep. feeling so average about yourself. Picture where that gets to after five years and had a couple of moments which, yeah, like I said, could have gone either way. Pretty scary stuff. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of 2018, I remember walking out of a, therapy session and thinking I'm in a worse state and I'd been to 250 or 270, 280 therapy sessions in yeah. across 15 years. I remember thinking I'm now in a worse state than when I walked into my first one. And I thought there has to be another way. And I tried everything. I'd been on all these different meds, really intense, heavy ones that are, you know, <laughs> require supervision to go on to months of weaning on and off them and stuff like that. Had some horrific experiences on then heaps of therapy sessions, online courses, seminars, weekend seminars, self-help books. I tried everything mm. and I'd actually pretty much given up. And I just thought if this thing is going to ruin my life, maybe if I can just understand it, like I wanted to understand neurologically what's happening when I get anxiety physiologically or what's actually happening. That's all that the kind of project that I went on, which has evolved into Mr. Anxiety. That's all it was about understanding what's actually wrong with me. Yeah. So the first book I picked up was on trauma and how we, what happens physiologically when we are exposed to trauma, because anxiety essentially 
living in a state of anxiety like that is pretty much trauma. You know, trauma is very subjective. So some people probably think that you have to go to war to get traumatized, but you don't. Anything can be trauma to, to, to an individual. <laughs> and I picked up a book on uh, neuroplasticity and stuff like that. And I just went on this research project trying to understand what was wrong with me. And as I started to build a, I guess, an idea of what was happening, I started to understand how different anxiety is to what people think it is. Mm-hmm. It's very, very different. You know, there's a, there's a lot at play. It's not just those anxious thoughts are just a byproduct of this other system coming online, which is when we think we're in danger. And it's a very old system that we're turning on by accident. And once I started to understand the role of the mind and the body, which work together in that system, I started to see a way of dealing better with my anxiety. And that work and all the research I did was based on medical professionals. It wasn't written by, um, it wasn't written by some random person who just decided to write a book about anxiety. It was, it, this stuff is like from medical professionals, doctors, psychiatrists, neuroscientists, you know, the person who's probably impacted me the most is a psychiatrist named Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. His work is like, it's like, I think about it all the time. It's mm-hmm. changed my life. So, you know, it's by people who are credible. And I started to figure out ways to, and I would reach out to them and chat to them on Instagram yeah. and over email and have phone calls with neuroscientists and go and meet the neuroscientists at Curtin Uni and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And started to piece together this kind of understanding of anxiety and way that I could deal with it. And then I started to feel better. Yeah. I started to apply these principles and started to feel better. And I'd planned on going back into banking and finance, which is what I have education in but i started to feel better and then i started to realize wow i cannot believe the way i've lived my life mm. i cannot believe that i used to vomit every day and think that that's normal yeah and the big thing was just the lack of energy i can't believe that i used to not want to do anything and i you know so other people are going through that so then naturally you're just like well i want to help other people and it's mm-hmm. really really rewarding to not so much like oh i'm helping other people it's kind of like I don't swear much, but it's kind of like a F you to anxiety. It's like, yeah. you know, F you, like you, 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 you cost me so much opportunity in my life. And now I'm like, you know, giving back to other people mm-hmm. and trying to help them. Like that's like, you know, my little F you to anxiety and what it did to me. So yeah, I really, really enjoy what I get to do now. And I'm in a stage where I'm on top of mine. I'm helping other people, but it's hard turning it into a business. Like really, really hard. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I could do it, you know, and at the moment I'm pretty much living off my savings and we get some income from the talks and stuff like that, which yeah. is great. But yeah, turn, monetizing something that's a passion is is difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want people to check out Mr. Anxiety, obviously on Instagram and the, and the website and you're doing your daily activities. You've got the daily podcast that you're doing every yep. morning, which is, which is brilliant. And you're helping people uh, who are going through a similar thing. Is there, the first step obviously is to admit that you have a problem, isn't it? Uh, because a lot, uh, you've said this as well. You grew up in a country town and it was kind of like being a man is just like pushing through like, oh, mate, you know, get over it. Let's walk through. It doesn't matter. And I can see that as well. You know, I played local footy and I went to an all boys school and that's the kind of the thing, but is the message, the first step is to go, Hey, it's not, you're not being weak. If, if you got anxiety, like, you know, it, it's a, people go through this. It doesn't make you weak. It's actually being a man to identify that. Is that the kind of message you want to send or what, what's that the message you want to tell people for the first step? I think the main thing is 
that when we get issues in life, we start doing the when. When. When I get here. Yeah. When I get this. Okay. When I get that. When I get that person. When I get, I'll be happy. Or yeah. my anxiety will go away. And I was the king of that. Hmm. I used to always think that when this next thing happened, my anxiety would go away. Yeah. But the thing is, we never actually arrive at a destination. We're always traveling. So people think you win an AFL grand final oh, for the next year. It's a great feeling, but it's built up because you mm-hmm. win a qualifying final first and then a prelim. And then it's kind of like you build your way up to things. Yeah. You never actually, there's never actually this one moment where you arrive at a destination. So life's about the journey, the day to day. You've got to be in a good frame of mind and then be enjoying what you're doing day to day because those when moments, they never, ever come. The future isn't a real thing. The fu- Tomorrow is just now at a different time. There's never this future thing that's going to come along. Mm-hmm. However you're feeling now will be how you're going to feel forever. So you've got to put time into how you're feeling now. So I always thought that by gritting my teeth and pushing through, I would end up getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. But then no matter where I got, you know, Played my first AFL game, still anxious, you know, played a full season for the Tigers, still anxious, won the Michael Roach medal, still anxious, you know, traded to Sydney, win a grand final, still anxious, went back to uni, got a degree, still anxious, got a, um, you know, decided dating a new girlfriend, still anxious, just like, when's it going to stop? So you have to break that cycle. And to break that cycle, how we do that is different for everybody. How we do that is different for everybody. So at one end of the spectrum, we have going into what I call the system, which is the medical system, which didn't work for me, but works for a lot of people. Try it out. Go and talk to your GP, your psychologist. Fantastic. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have what I believe to be the best treatment for mental health issues, which it would be going and living with Buddhist monks for three or four months because they would just get you completely out of your head and get you back to just being able to sit with yourself and feeling comfortable in your own skin again and feeling good about yourself, feeling safe. So that's what I believe would be the best treatment for for these types of things. That's my opinion. We live in a free world and I'm allowed to have it. But that's that's not possible at the moment to go and live in one of those places because of COVID. So in between that spectrum, we've got all these different things that you can try. You can go to a counsellor. You can go try yoga, meditation, sound immersion therapy. You can follow people like me on Instagram who have my own way of dealing with it. Mm. And what you do is you start to piece together your own kind of understanding of it and different little tools that you can take. My advice is to take little bits from everyone. Go and talk to a psych and take a little bit of that. Take a little bit of something you learn from yoga. Take a little bit of something you learn from me. Take a little bit of something you learn from someone else you follow and put it in a blender, as I say. Mm -hmm. Put it in a blender and come up with something that works for you. Yeah. Because the way we live as a society is getting so far away from the way that we evolved that it's getting pretty hard to stay mentally healthy. It's getting pretty hard. So you've got to find little ways that you can deal with stuff. So what that is for each individual is different. Mm-hmm. But I just want people to put time into it. I just want people to say, this isn't right the way that I'm living. It's not normal. You know, I've got a photo that I put up on, on my stories on Instagram of me when I was 17 and I'm smiling and I'm happy. Yeah. And then another photo of me when I'm 26 and I've got this frown, which I've actually got, I don't frown anymore, but I've got scars there. And I put a photo up saying, this isn't how you live. This yeah. is frowning like that. You only get one chance at this life. 
you know, we're here to have a good time. We're here to, here to, here to connect and be with people and be part of communities. Yeah. And if you're not in that frame of mind, you've got to find a way to get back into it. And that's all that I want to get across to people. It's not mm. me saying, this is how I've done it. Go and do it. It's just go out there and find what works for you. I love that. I love that, Mitch. Hey, I do 10 quick questions with all my guests to, to finish off before I, I do that. There's one thing I want to ask you, though. In 2013, you said, I don't think there's ever been a point in my life where I've truly been content, to be honest. What about now? How are you feeling? Are you content with your life? Are you happy? Has it changed since then massively? That's a, Yeah, that's a good question. And it's hard not to do the when thing again, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, I've, I've always had jobs that were quite well paying. I was in a six-figure government job before this one that I left to do this startup, but I never enjoyed them. And then now I have this job that I love. Mm. Uh, I love getting to talk to people and connect and share what I've learned and hope that it helps them. But I'm kind of living off my savings and trying to turn it into a business. So there's that challenge. Yeah. But I think I'm the most content that I've been. And I think it's a work in progress. It's kind of like a spectrum as well. It's like, you know, we have you know, people that have severe, you know, mental illness who are in hospitals and, you know, really, really unlucky to be in that, 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 that place. And they can't really sit with themselves at all. And then on the other end, we have Buddhist monks and the rest of us float between that. So we're kind of, I'm trying to push myself towards the, you know, the Buddhist monks, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's a challenge sometimes, but yeah, I really love what I'm doing and feel lucky that I'm in this position because it could have gone either way. Um, but I'm still working on that. Yeah. No, great to hear, mate. I absolutely love it. Uh, Ten quick questions, Mitch. Uh, yep. The first thing that comes to your head, mate, okay? Uh, number one, what's your favourite movie? Uh, Inception. Inception. Very good. Your, your favourite teammate of all time? Uh, Alex Rance is probably the yeah. funniest human being I've ever <laughs> been in a, in a room with. Yeah. Yep, very That's funny. Like, yeah, he's a good man. Uh, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Oh, great question. I love the movies. Like I'm obsessed with Hollywood movies. Yeah. I think I'd love to live in LA for a bit. Yeah. 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 That'd be good. Uh, your favourite quote of all time? Uh, for as this appalling ocean surrounds this verdant land, so in the soul of man lies an insular Tahiti, full of peace and joy, but surrounded by the horrors of a half-lived life. Very nice. That's it. Very inside nice. all of us inside yeah. all of us is peace but it's mm-hmm. there somewhere gotta yeah. find it yeah love it uh if you could choose anyone in the afl to take a shot after the siren to save your life who would it be i'll say uh jack rewalt because that yeah. that set shot in last year's grand final oh, yeah, good. was just insane yeah and, and, he, and he's an old mate of mine so i'll, mm-hmm. I'll back him in yeah, brilliant. He's my favourite too. Uh, you love your burgers. I know that. What, what's your favourite burger ever? Favourite burger ever? Yeah. Oh, that's a really tricky question. Perth actually has some unbelievable... I can't believe yeah. I'm saying this. You know, Perth <laughs> normally a bit, bit behind the time. Yeah, Perth yeah. is nearly... Perth probably has the best burgers in Australia. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, Perth is... Somehow, I don't know how we've done it. I'll say my number one burger in Perth is... Uh, oh, that's a tricky question. Tricky question because cool. there's so many. You've got to pick one, Mitch. Okay, I'll go with the Texan burger at Varsity Bar. Oh, they'll love that. That's yep. good. And that's a big call too because you've obviously lived in Sydney and Melbourne as well, so you'd know the best burger joint. All right, yep. who is your hero? My hero someone I look up to. I love, well, I think my father. Mm-hmm. I think 
my father's provided for me and always been there for me. Yep. And I, yeah, my parents, I wouldn't be where I am right now, you know, without their, their support. Mm-hmm. Yep. My dad, choice. Worked, my dad works his absolute butt off. You know, he's yep. a livestock agent. He's still out there weighing sheep at 60 years of age, getting, you know, he's, 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 he's a very hardworking man. Mm. Oh, good. Uh, Sunday afternoon, you can do anything you want. You're free. I know you don't have a lot of free time these days, but what are you doing free afternoon on Sunday? Oh, I'm back into golf, so I'd probably be... Oh, you're back? Yeah, good. Yeah, I just got the bug back. I was just loving it. So yeah. I'd be at, the, be at the driving range. Yep. yep. Good one. All right. Uh, if you could be any cartoon character, who would you be? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I will say cartoon character. I don't really watch cartoons. Mm-hmm. Any, uh, any. The Roadrunner. Oh, the Roadrunner, I yeah. used to like that one because it was fast. Yeah, yeah very quick. Yeah. I yeah. love it. All right, last one. What is your favourite song? Favourite song? Oh, well, I like Vance Joy yeah. uh, because I, play, I played footy with him. So oh, I did, yeah. At Coburg, yeah, James Keogh. So oh, yeah. That's, I've got a funny story about that, but I won't, yeah. won't tell it now. Um, no. oh, ne- next one, then. Yeah, next <laughs> one. Um, so I probably I like his I like his music. So what's my favourite one of his? Um, Riptide, maybe? Riptide, yeah. Yep. That's yep. perfect. Yep. Hey, yep. Mitch, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, mate. I could speak to you all day, really. I, I loved watching you on the field, but your off-field stuff is absolutely phenomenal. Insights, you're very inspirational, mate. So I hope everyone gets on to uh, Mr. Anxiety and looks at your stuff. And I can't thank you enough for joining me today, mate. Love Thanks for having doing. me, mate. I appreciate it. Nah, no problem at all. We'll chat soon, mate. See you, mate.